Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. I'm here today with Gaurav Harode. He is founder and CEO of Enablex. Gaurav, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me. Great. Can you tell uh, our audience a little bit about what Enablex does at a high level? Yeah, Enablex is a, is a sales enablement platform. So to dig a little deeper, marketers use Enablex to organize content so that the sales reps and customer-facing team members can find the right content at the right time. So just uh, solve the whole quintessential Google Drive and SharePoint chaos problem. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest problem that you solve for your clients? I think uh, improvement in sales and marketing alignment and the sales rep productivity. So make the sales rep perform faster, quicker, uh, respond quicker to their buyers and prospects, and then get on the same page between marketing and sales teams. Got it. Um, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the journey to where you are today. Um, you know, I know you spent a number of years doing, you know, product management, business development, and your last role that you left in 2016 after spending was was uh, after spending eight years with Oracle was as a vice president of uh, financial crime and compliance management. So, yes. what had you leave Oracle and go out for your first entrepreneurial experience? <clears throat> So I think uh, I've always wanted to do something uh, like start something from scratch. I'm a, uh, deep down, I'm a product guy. I like building things. And uh, uh, I was sort of tired with the compliance space. So wanted to build something which was more accessible. I saw the explosion of cloud and software as a service around me. Mm -hmm. I saw that the technology was getting commoditized. So it was much easier to build products. Mm -hmm. And uh, being a efficiency and productivity junkie and having worked with sales reps, I thought, okay, let's build a technology which will help, which would, I would have been the user of Enablex at Oracle. If, if I was at Oracle, I would have been the user of Enablex trying to help the sales team with the content. So that's what the Got it. seeds were born. Like, hey, I, I would like to build something which I would have used effectively at Oracle. Yeah. How uh, how large of an industry is this that you've gotten into, and and you know, are you are you just a small fish in a very large pond? You know, where do you fit in? Yeah, so the industry is pretty large and it's rapidly growing, and especially with the last year's uh, move to remote work and distributed mm -hmm. workspace, it's expected to grow even faster. Uh, right now, by different sources, the industry is more than like two point five billion dollars. Okay. Uh, and uh, we are right now a small fish, uh, hoping to become a big fish in the yeah. in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. How would you say your background and your experience prior to uh, you know founding Enablex has prepared you for what you do today? Um, I think uh, one of the 
so my background part of my background is technical and product oriented as i said so that has helped us build a really high quality product we recognize mm-hmm. what users especially sales users appreciate in a product mm-hmm. so that that has helped us and that has translated to customer success with our customers at enablex mm-hmm. um, other part of it is more around selling pricing deal making um, that has helped us it it's also been a learning experience because at Oracle, we were selling much bigger deals, sure. like, and uh, it always helps to have the brand of Oracle go with you, right? And when you when you leave Oracle, you're sort of on your own, and you are a mm-hmm. nobody. So that's an eye opening experience. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, even then, like, I think I credit a lot to what I learned at Oracle. Like, I think Oracle was a for such a big company, it was a pretty fast paced environment. And I got to learn a lot and I have been able to apply like pricing strategy, negotiation strategy, um, how you can negotiate on deals with customers and prospects. So that's, that's been valuable. What do you think was, has been the biggest challenge for you leaving such a, such a large, well-known company and being out on your own where no one knows you? <laughs> I think um, the biggest challenge as far as Enablex is concerned, the biggest challenge has been um, I don't come from a digital marketing background. And when you work at a company like Oracle and the product that we I was managing was an industry-recognized product, right. you don't have to market as much. Like you have to market, but you just have to do like the bare minimum, like trade shows and analyst mm-hmm. reports and things like that. But you don't have to like really sort of like, you don't need to get creative with it. Right. Let's, let's, yeah. Whereas when you are a nobody, like, you know, two people working on a product, trying to break into an industry, uh, I completely miscalculated for the first couple of years, like the role of digital marketing, because I had never done digital marketing. Mm. I had never done content marketing. I had never done SEO. Mm -hmm. So I never like calibrated for that until I realized that, oh, shoot, like I'm, I'm, um, I'm behind the curve here and I need to uh, catch up. So, yeah. So did you did you bring in experts to do this for you or have you just bootstrapped everything? Um, so uh, for the the product side, like so it's me and my co-founder. Uh, we have known each other for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. So the majority of the business has been built using just in-house like our talent and our engineering team's talent. Mm-hmm. But we tried, like we have experimented trying to bring experts in, uh, especially for, as I said, like digital marketing, that was a yep. blind spot. And, but I also realized that I have had, like I've made many missteps in that area. Um, so one of the experiences I learned on digital marketing is that a lot of marketing agencies that are out there, they're great at getting your car from 30 miles per hour to 40 miles per hour, mm-hmm. right? So they like they want an engine that is already working, and then yep. they can put fuel or pour fuel in that engine and make it go faster. Yeah, whereas, yeah, no, go ahead and finish. No, so whereas they they don't very few agencies. In fact, I, I don't know of any agency which is good at taking a car from five miles per hour to twenty miles. So that's a different skill set, right? Uh, rather than like trying to just make accelerate an already running car kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, so what did you do to, 
you know, you said you made a lot of missteps. So how did you go about finding someone to do this for you? And, and what could you have done differently in maybe interviewing them and asking better questions to help you find actually what would have subsequently been the right company to get you from, you know, zero to, to 40, for example. Yeah. So I think what I could have done differently would have started internally rather than externally, right? Mm-hmm. I think I would have not been exclusively focused on product and customer success and engineering. And I could have started out with marketing. Yeah. I could have started out with content marketing, even if it was, let's say, 20% of my focus. Mm-hmm. If I would have started, it compounds over mm-hmm. over months. So if I would have started out early, that content marketing investment would have helped inform me what kind of marketing partner I want to sign up on, right? Like, so, um, so I was looking in the early days of the business, I was looking for like a silver bullet, right? Hey, let me get an agency and let just like grow. And at least to my experience, that hasn't worked out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really great. You know, it's, it's so important to look at, look at the mistakes that we all make, right? Yeah. As entrepreneurs and, you know, ideally <laughs> to learn from those. Yes. Um, so that we don't make those mistakes again. And of course, you know, so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs. So this is really, really great to talk about the things that you've been challenged with. Right. Um, what would you say from a, from a, an industry standpoint, what challenges are you and are your competitors facing in the industry or the market? I think one of the challenges is that, um, sales enablement as a discipline, it's still a misunderstood discipline, right? Because sales enablement means it's a very generic term. Like you could argue that Salesforce, which is a CRM tool, is a sales enablement tool because it enables sales reps to track their opportunities and accounts and contacts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so, So we and our peers struggle with the um, miscategorization of what solutions qualify as sales enablement, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's still too a broader term. Right. Uh, the second thing is that as, a comp- as an industry, sales enablement has been seen as something which is only applicable for large organizations. And while that is changing, um, it's still not changing at the pace that we would like. So mm-hmm. um, companies still put up with misaligned sales and marketing efforts, mm-hmm. uh, content all over the place, uh, inefficiencies, and they just want to like pretty up their website, right? Like, so the industry is still focused on like website and marketing automation and those kinds of investments. And they don't really are focused on a qualified lead that goes to the sales ship, like how best to serve a qualified lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, marketing is still measured on like how many leads they get, not how many opportunities they help close. If they shift that focus, if people start measuring them on how many opportunities they are closing rather than just like how many thousand leads they got, right? I think sales enablement would, the discussion about sales enablement and need of proper sales enablement would be elevated in the organization. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really really great point, Gaurav. I, I I absolutely agree with that. So, are have you found that in this in this market that companies are trying to be all things to all people? 
Uh, no, the companies are not trying to be all things okay. to all people, uh, which which can be, uh, but the companies are categorized. And I, I don't know who owns the categorization, right? Like who owns that sort of like bucketing the sure. different technologies in different areas. Like if, if I say CRM, people know what I mean. If I say marketing automation, people right. would know what, what I mean. Mm-hmm. But if I say sales enablement, you would get almost like, five different classes of applications. So I think, so, so that's why when, 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 um, when I, as a buyer say, I want to invest in sales enablement. Okay. Do I want to invest in a sales training platform? Do I want to invest in a sales content management platform? Do I want to invest in um, like sales engagement platform? So there are these like pillars of sales enablement, which I think could be industries of their own, right? So that's, um, and I think it's a good question because I I wonder like what is preventing them to be their own categories rather than being sort of like put together in this generic sales enablement Mm -hmm. category. Yeah. So you're finding you're having to do a lot of uh, evangelizing? Yes. Yeah. Yes, a lot. And um, evangelizing at a category level, evangelizing at a company size level. So Mm -hmm. trying to educate people that, look, even though you are a 200 person organization, you are you are missing out if you are not. Enabling your sales team in a methodical and systematic fashion. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing to educate, I would say, consumers in general, or are you just focusing on your prospect base? To, no, to I, in fact, like them on here's what this is. This is, you know, here's the difference between sales enablement and CRM, et cetera. Yeah. So we what we are doing is that we uh, we have identified like a couple of personas and then uh, explored and found identified communities because nowadays it's a, a sense people have gone remote mm-hmm. communities are the big thing right rather than meetups because people right. aren't meeting right. in or events mm-hmm. so we have we have identified communities and we we sell to product marketers we sell to sales enablement managers and we are just active in those communities trying to you know anything from answering questions to sharing best practices Mm-hmm. Uh, we are we are actively and then we are spending some time on LinkedIn also um, in our industry space, though we find LinkedIn to be like very broad and very um, hit or miss. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, so communities, LinkedIn, social media, that that's in the uh, investment for us. So who's your ideal prospect? Who are you going after? What size company? Who you know what what? Um, what position in the company? Who, who are you going after? So we are going after companies with anywhere between 100 employees and 2,000 employees. Okay. And we are targeting uh, the marketing department in that company. Uh, if you want to get more specific, product marketing department, okay. if that okay. exists. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, like I think the hope is that if you are a hundred person company, you at least have like fifteen sales reps, right? So I mean, there could be outliers where you may have a hundred person company, but just have like one or two sales rep. In which case, then they are not a good fit. But in most cases, the goal is to get to anywhere between hundred to. And geography wise, we are focusing on North America, so U.S., Canada, and then I would say U.K., maybe Western Europe, but like 
if you were to I were to pick three countries, it would be U.S., Canada, and U.K. Okay. And how many employees do you have currently? Uh, we have ten employees currently. Okay. And how many are here in the states? Is it just you and? and uh, we are. Uh, it's me, and very soon it will be one more individual who would be coming on board. So it will be two employees. Yeah. Okay. And then there is one in Europe, and then the rest in India. Okay, got it. So, so tell me a little bit about your company culture, and if there's anything particular that you would say makes it unique. And you know, if, if I was one of your employees, if I came to work for you, what would I notice about your culture? Um, we at least we deliberately try to reduce number of meetings uh, within the company. Um, we focus a lot on written communication. I'm a big fan of asynchronous communication. Uh, okay. We use a lot of video communication. So um, we use Loom, yep. which is a video tool, a lot. Yep. Yep. to communicate um, and a lot of stress has been put on like written communication. So let's say if you and I are talking and we decide something that has very little meaning unless it's put in the written form in our project management tool. So what is written and what is recorded trumps what has been discussed because what has been, I can discuss a lot. What I've realized about myself as a founder and the CEO is that ideas are coming to me at like 100 <laughs> miles per hour. Right, right? next and speed. <laughs> exactly. And and I used to do this uh, earlier and I'm sort of, so I don't mind sharing ideas. I think it's, it's helped like brainstorming, but just because we are brainstorming an idea, that doesn't mean that you work on that idea. Mm -hmm. so, that, so I have I have like very clear instructions that look, just because we are discussing something doesn't mean it has to be done, right? right? We are discussing it because it's it's like a good sort of like venting out your emotion, uh, like into like whatever is coming to you in ideas. Mm -hmm. Like we are, it's healthy dialogue. Uh, it tells you what I am thinking. It tells me what you are thinking from an idea perspective. Mm -hmm. But in the past, I used to be very like phone, like I would just pick up the phone and call and discuss these things. Now I've channeled that thing. I will write about it. We will go back and forth, but we may not do anything about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just like a, um, uh, it's like exporting your energy, mm -hmm. but not necessarily like having any ramification on the long, like the impact of the product, right? right? Because um, so that's one thing. I also tell that we try to run a very calm company or we make an effort to run a calm company. So what that means is that I don't randomly call people um, because I recognize that they may be in the middle of something which is like a deep work and I may be pulling them out of deep work. Mm -hmm. um, I We don't use Slack uh, or any chatting tools mm -hmm. for that matter. Uh, not that we avoid them, but there is no expectation that if you message me on Slack that I'm supposed to respond to you. Right. Um, uh, it's, um, in fact, we encourage people writing emails, um, so that people can respond on their own time. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, I mean, it has worked till now very well. Um, it's, we'll see how it works, but I, I like to be, to respect people's time. I like, right. um, yeah. So I, I don't know whether that answers your question, but well, like, that's I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it does certainly in part, at least. Have you found any issues around uh, receivers of written communications misinterpreting anything? 
yeah sometimes and mm-hmm. and uh, they are also encouraged to like over communicate in a written right. way right mm-hmm. uh, and that's why because there is misinterpretation i almost gravitate towards i always use video first yeah, written good, next good. so wherever i can use video i use a video yeah. um uh, even if it's that's like like a hand sketch i put together i would hand mm-hmm. sketch it and put it or take a screenshot or put a video on it mm-hmm. and i think just like i i'm amazed how few organizations use video and it's so cheap to use video and it's so much effective mm-hmm. than writing the words out because as you said even if i i'm the best writer which i'm not but if i even if i'm like the top notch writer my words could be misconstrued that's right um um and uh yeah like i i, I think it's just uh the focus is we do only few meetings we don't have to react to everything there are only few mm-hmm. very few things that need you to drop everything that you are doing and right. pay attention to right like there mm-hmm. um so we just try to follow that mantra and just get stuff done and keep our customers happy yeah yeah that's really great that that you know you pointing out about using using uh, video or loom in your case because it's really interesting. I've done a great deal of research on communication and I'm, I'm, I'm very big about communicating and, and really comparing, you know, oral communication to written communication to then of course, nonverbal communication. Right. Yeah. And if you ask uh, a sender of a written communication, um, what, what uh, percentage of people they believe are receiving the message in in the spirit of how you sent it, it's somewhere north of ninety percent. When you okay. ask the receiver the same question, you know what percentage of those written communications are you interpreting the way the sender meant it? It's also over ninety percent. And guess what? Okay. It is in reality. <laughs> it's about it's about fifty four percent. Okay. Are are, are interpreted, you know, correctly. So, so, or excuse me, 51% that are misinterpreted. (laughs) So less than 50% are interpreted correctly. Um, And of course, in oral communication, people will tell you also over 90% on each side. And in reality, it is, I think like 92%, if I recall correctly. And so, so when you look at that, uh, I mean, my assistant frequently sends me Loom videos. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because I can't always understand, you know, English is not his first language. Yeah. He's Egyptian and his English is magnificent, but sometimes I get emails from him and I'm thinking, okay, what exactly did you mean by that? Exactly. So that's, it's really great that you recognize that, especially if you have people that are speaking different languages. Yeah. I think, I think as a, as a founder, one thing, and I I have been like this, even as a manager at Oracle, Mm I, I recognize that a majority of my job, like, so they, the, my team is dependent on my communication, right? Right. So it's not just that if I mess up in my communication or if I'm inefficient in my communication, I'm doing a bad job. I'm in fact making them inefficient in turn, right? They may interpret it. So so I'm big on like delegation. I'm right. big on communication because I, I think that in the end, I almost take like a lazy approach to it. Like I'm being lazy 
because I want them to do the most work. So I want to do the, I want to be less lazy on the communication side mm-hmm. and just communicate whatever tools, whatever, like I may use mind maps. I may use whatever is like effective mm-hmm. for from them to understand why we are doing it. Because another thing is also, I think in communication is that a lot of people tell others what to do, yeah. but they don't include why it's important to be done. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think if you give them the why it's uh, even though it may sound like, okay, it's obvious, but I, yeah. I think it, it, it changes the um, receptiveness to your communication. Listen, I agree. I, you know, I always say the only stupid question is the one that's not asked. Yeah. And, you know, better to over communicate than under communicate because you may think that you're answering the question that someone has asked you. And I will frequently say, you know, does that answer your question? Is that what you were looking for? Or even qualify, qualify with another with another question to make sure I'm understanding what's being asked of me. Yes. And, yeah. and I think that's really, really important. So yeah. where do you see, Gaurav, yourself uh, investing in the company uh, any resources for growth over the next year? Uh, marketing and sales. Um, so that's that's the two areas that we would yeah. be investing in. We may also invest in engineering talent mm-hmm. because as uh, we may invest in the future in customer success talent. But I think immediately we are looking at marketing yeah. and sales uh, would be the primary areas. Well, you, you learned from the master, didn't you? about the importance of marketing. Yeah, yeah. Oracle is a marketing machine. Yes. There's no Well, question. I learned from them, but I sort of like still committed the misstep because I just assumed that if if I'm from Oracle and when I go on my own, yeah. people will just know about it. But yeah, like yeah. as no, you understand. Right. And and you know, the good news is is you recognize that. Yes. Hopefully yeah. sooner than later. Yeah, so I recognize we recognized it. Yeah. Yeah, we recognized it. We are fixing it. And we have a path forward to make it fill mm-hmm. those gaps and uh, get the growth engine running. Yeah. So if you look at your if you look at your uh, your day, just like what a general day looks like for you, um, where do, what do you spend most of your time doing? Um. So so in, in my day is divided into customer success, mm-hmm. right? Um, content investing mm-hmm. in content. Um. And content could be external facing marketing content. It could be internal facing communication content, right? Um, Sales. So just prospecting and reaching out to prospects and in recently recruiting because now, and I'm, I'm trying to now like that, that recruiting pie is slowly pushing the, um, the, the, the taking more space. Yeah. And, putting strain on the other areas, but yeah. So that those would be like the four areas. Yeah. What, if, what have you found to be your biggest challenges in, in learning how to recruit? I, I think the, one of the biggest challenges is just, uh, it's hard because there are just so many options, you know, right? Like means you could recruit on LinkedIn. There are like hundred different job board sites. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always like I end up like overanalyzing every channel, right? <laughs> Rather than just trying out. And I'm I'm and I haven't been recruiting for long. So I have learned that I just need to like just try out a few channels just 
for trying out sake and not hold back because i'm thinking like oh we are small so maybe uh, a job board site may not be the right option maybe i should look at networks um so so it, it's just it's just like a um you know just too many options when it comes to recruiting that has been like more cha- challenging like and deciding on what channel would work best right yeah. right well right and that, that that's always hard especially to a small company that that doesn't have an unlimited budget yes to do that with you know how do you yeah. how do you use your money the best way uh in the most effective way to get what you need yeah. um you know and and actually find the people that you want to talk to rather than um what what uh, i refer to as post and pray <laughs> exactly right yeah. It, yeah. so that's a challenge so um how do you spend your time when you're not working uh i spend um i do a little bit of cooking i like cooking mm-hmm. well I, I don't think i like cooking but i know that it has to be done so i enjoy <laughs> cooking just for, you know like this thing um i spend a lot of time with my daughters um I used to be, and, and I'm an amateur triathlete. I used to do that, but last year has been a wash. Um, uh-huh. I'm trying to get back into it. Um, I always see like my bike buddies will say, okay, hey, we are going for a 50 mile ride on the weekend. And I'm like, oh, 50 mile, that's too long. Let's do like a, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and we cut it down. So I'm always finding ways to like sneak out of it but hopefully i'll i'll get into it um yeah. i'm planning to go back to the gym and start swimming uh right. i love swimming so yeah those like it's but it's a very uh, uh all the things that i do like cooking mm-hmm. spending time with my daughters or like uh or my wife and, and uh doing the um the triathlon thing they are all like they're like a reset like a stress mm-hmm. busters so um, any one of them works. Uh, yeah. That's why I think may, I mean, I'm not doing the triathlete thing. Well, I think I just find that, Hey, I might as well cook. Right. That's, that's, that's less work than yeah. like running up the hill or driving, yeah. uh, riding yeah. my bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's really great. So, um, if somebody listening wanted to take ne- the next steps with you, maybe interested in, in, uh, reaching out to you to potentially learn about your product or even work for you, what would you say, what should they do? Um, they can find us at enablix.com, E-N-A-B-L-I-X.com, okay. or they can reach out via email to me. My email address is my first name, G-A-U-R-A-V dot, my last name, H-A-R-O-D-E at enablix.com. So either option would. Yeah. Okay. And if somebody were to go to your website, enablix.com, uh, what would you suggest that they, what page should they visit first? They just request a demo, shouldn't they? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, like we write, we write quite a bit about our approach to sales, marketing, and customer yeah. success on yeah. our about page. Uh, so that's, that's um, I, if they are curious about sales enablement, any page is game. But if they already know sales enablement and are comparing us with other vendors, uh, they should check out about us page. Yeah. Good, good, good. Well, Gaurav Harode, uh, founder and CEO of Enablex, thank you so much for being with me today. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. 
If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.